Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together here this morning to look into your word and learn more about you and the nature of your church. And I pray, Lord, that as we look into these things, that we would see what a mighty thing that you've done in building your church, and that we'd also learn to love one another as you've called us to do. I uh, pray for Bob, his voice. We pray for his healing. We thank you for him, Lord. We pray now that we would learn about you all for the sake of your name and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. After I gave the Sunday school teaching about the dispute between the Sanhedrin and the early church, as shown with Stephen's address, about where is the valid temple of God? And of course, they're saying it's the temple and its precincts. And the temple was being controlled by corrupt people. But after I gave that teaching, I thought, you know, I should finish out that concept because it goes on in the rest of the New Testament to explain where is the house of God. And today we're going to see that the church of the redeemed is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Remember, I showed you that when Jesus walked the earth, it says in John, he tabernacled amongst us. Okay? But Jesus ascended into heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit. The redeemed are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So today, we're going to examine that very central and important biblical topic. As I said last time, it's not the case that we can get a whole bunch of money and build a building and then say, now we have the house of God. No building made with hands is the house of God. I'm not saying it's a sin to own a building. I'm just saying if you do, what you have is a facility, and a facility is there to facilitate the preaching of the gospel. But let's see where the house of God is. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Eric, could you be my reader and read that? Absolutely. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Okay, you are the temple of God. Now, in English, the word you can be either singular or plural. But in Greek, it's specific, so we can know what's meant. In Greek, you here is plural. So you in aggregate as the people of God, are the temple of God. This is a glorious truth. And you might think, well, everybody knows that. No, they don't. As I said before, why do you think 
Rome went around building all these massive cathedrals. Well, they're trying to make another temple. What do you think the Vatican is about? Remember the indulgences that were being sold that Luther objected to? In German, it said when the coin in the the cup rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Jiggle, 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 out goes the souls. They're coming out of that purgatory. More money, more money. Luther heard that and was outraged. Why would God throw people in the purgatory and let them out for money? No, they didn't need St. Peter's Cathedral to be a house of God. The church of the redeemed, and I mean people born from above, are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And there is the temple of God. Here, plural. The word temple, naos, denotes the inner sanctuary. That term is used in Luke 23.45. Luke 23.45. I know we've referenced this, but you need to know it. It's a very important verse. It's, it's not just something that happened. It's something that's significant in salvation history. Yeah. So you need to know Luke 23.45. It says, while the sunlight failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Eric, tell us about curtains and which one it was. Yeah, there, there was two curtains, and Bob just pointed out the inner temple is called the naus in Greek. There's a wider temple, the complex is called the Huron in Greek. And there was two veils. One veil was in the Huron. It basically separated the Gentiles from everything that the Israelites could do. But the temple veil that probably tore was the inner one. And it separated the Holy of Holies, the place that the high priest could only enter into once a year on the Day of Atonement. So the imagery, of course, now is we have access to God in the Holy of Holies through Jesus Christ. That's how we have access to God. And that's a big issue in the book of Hebrews. We draw. Yes, now we have access to God. Amen. It's not just the high priest once a year. And Hebrews is so clear about this. And it's so important. When I've written about prayer, which we, Eric, I sent you an article. I got a new article written. If it doesn't get vetoed, I don't think it will. I think it's good. But in there, I talk about prayer and how people get it wrong in modern evangelicalism. And I also talk about the term devotion and what it means in the Greek and how it's used in the New Testament. And one of the things that is popular because evangelicalism, I conclude, is a mystical religion and has been for 130 years. This is nothing new. And so people talk about quiet time. Well, quiet time turns into mysticism time. Well, who says that prayer is quiet? Where did we get that idea? Well, see, people think 
Prayer is God speaking to us rather than us speaking to God. And so the term for devotion, this will be in my new article, is used in Acts 2.42. But it's also used in Colossians 4 where it says, be devoted to prayer. Now, if you look at Hebrews 3, excuse me, Hebrews 4.16, it says that we can go to the throne of grace where we find mercy and timely help. It tells us to pray for one another. Paul, when he asked for prayer, specifically tells the church what his needs are and what he needs prayer for. Pray that God would open up a door for the gospel. Ephesians 6. Now, how do you let your needs be known to God at the throne of grace if you're like a Buddhist monk? I got my quiet time. When is something going to happen here? And they go into the mystical realm or they buy devotional books, most of which are junk. And this is God speaking to me. Jesus calling. The Jesus of Jesus calling is not the Jesus of the Bible. A guy that I know we did a seminar together, Warren Smith, wrote a book called Another Jesus Calling. Okay, because rather than what the Bible says, I go to God and explain my needs at the throne of grace. Paul says, pray for me. So you're saying, dear God, help this brother with the gospel. Pray for the evangelism team. Dear Lord, may you open the door for the gospel. May people hear the word of God. We're talking to God. Go ahead and call it quiet time, but I don't see why it's so quiet. It's speaking to God time. How do we hear from God? We read the Bible for what it means. And then that's God speaking. Anyhow, that's going to be my next article. Yes, Brian. What does it mean by destroy the temple of God? Okay. In the context, I'm glad you said that because I had that in my notes. Uh, astute question. If you read the rest of 1 Corinthians, particularly chapter 11, you see that people were abusing the body of Christ. They were treating Christian people badly. 1 Corinthians 12, you, the I can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. Or somebody says, here, you sit here in this good place. You sit outside. Or they're going to have the Lord's Supper. You are my inner circle of rich friends. You come in and will dine. Everybody else sits outside and has nothing. Is that right, Eric? So the temple of God being destroyed is the church. And that's the warning. I think the elders and pastors should think about this. If God's given you the responsibility to care for the church of God, 
you are caring for the temple of God. And that doesn't mean hiring somebody to take care of the building. Okay, so if you feed the church of God garbage by bringing in false teaching, you are destroying the temple of God and you shall come under judgment. We need to have the fear of God about how we treat these dear people, dear ones. Jesus died for you. He loves you. He cares about you. And he wants his people to care for one another. You are so precious to God because you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see the singular and aggregately, aggregately, we are the temple of the living God. And we got to be treated that way. Gordon Fee in his great commentary says this, quote, Paul is here reflecting on the church as the corporate place of God's dwelling, who when gathered in Jesus' name, experienced the presence and power of the Lord Jesus in their midst. Thank you, Jesus. I love the Lord's church. The saints are so wonderful. I know that personally. People are so kind, so patient, so loving, so prayerful. I keep thinking, well, maybe they're going to give up on me, but it's not going to happen. You just won't do it. And so I said, and my wife was frustrated all week because I wouldn't answer her questions. What about this? She, out, the, out the window cranks open. I'm out in the garage. And she asked a question out the window. I'm in the garage. <laughs> no voice. Uh, Bob, I have to I- I- inject this. That's what wives do. <laughs> that's a theological point. And Ask that's a good questions. thing. Yeah, <laughs> Keeps us on our toes. I, I hope she continues to be patient. You know, at least, you know what? They care about us. That's good. Now, about the church. The church is a sacred temple. And the only valid alternative to the pagan temples of Corinth. This is me speaking. If some destroy the church, the church they destroy is God's holy dwelling in Corinth. And that would leave the pagan temples as the alternative. This is a dire situation. Paul has a chiasm to issue his warning. Man destroys God's temple. God destroys man. You know, I don't understand. In the last 20-some years of pleading with pastors all across the world, particularly America, to preach the gospel and to feed the church the pure word of God, I get mostly pushed back and negative and go away. We'd rather listen to the sociologists than the 
theologians. I don't understand. Do they not know how precious this church is to God? Do they not know that the only food that will benefit the flock of Jesus Christ is pure spiritual food? Do they not hear what Jesus said to Peter? Do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Tend my sheep. Take care of them. This is the precious temple of the Holy Spirit. So the word destroy here, if you destroy the temple of God, you know, if you think of the Sadducees that were the enemies of Stephen, they martyred him. They would be so outraged if anything happened to the temple, the building. They protected that building no matter what. They accused the Christians of speaking against it. But they thought nothing of taking advantage of believers. The word destroy means corrupt. And it means here cause moral decay. To cause what is supposed to be holy to be corrupted. God is holy. Dr. Fee says his temple is therefore also holy set apart for his purposes. And as his temple, you, Christians, are by implication also to be holy. We need to regard the Lord's precious temple as holy to him. People are more than willing to think a building is holy, but they could care less about the people that go there. Let's care, first of all, for the people. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 19. Eric. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Okay, now we go to the singular Okay, you before was plural, the church as the temple. Here, the person, the individual Christian, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You hear people say that, your body's a temple. Now, there's a very specific issue going on in Corinth that made this salient. The pagan temples were dens of immorality and paganism in Corinth was so wicked that fornication prostitution and horrid immorality were considered acts of worship now the Christians in Corinth had been saved out of that corrupt system but some of them 
were being given false teaching and believing it. And one of those false teachings was that only spiritual things are important. Your body is material. Therefore, it's not important. And furthermore, because the body is almost like nothing, whatever you do with your body doesn't count. So you can just live in sin and say, I get a get out of jail free car. It didn't count because it was just my body. Now, Paul is refuting that idea in no uncertain terms. Far from not mattering or not counting, Paul says to the dear Christians, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Far from being nothing, it's very important because your whole person, body and soul, is holy to God. That's Paul's teaching. He's refuting the libertines in Corinth. You're not your own. You're here for the Lord. No matter if you can hide things from man, God sees everything. This is me, my notes. Paul is concerned about how immorality is specifically an attack against the body is for the Lord, both in the corporate sense and in the individual sense as here. The dwelling place of God's spirit must be preserved as holy to the Lord. They couldn't let the pagan culture determine what was permissible for Christians. My dear friends, do you see any correlation to today? Don't we have the same problem? If we just go along with what the world has to say, we won't be any different. We need God's grace, don't we? Dear God, help me be different. Uh, so I was, yeah, that's, uh, we actually ran into a uh, Catholic, uh, was it yesterday or the day before, that was, that's the problem he had because even though he read God's word and it's God that teaches us, he counted that it was the church that interprets it as the truth. And so, of course, he went to the, he actually explained to me rightly that uh, when James said, why uh, faith is dead without works, and then when he heard it in a video, he wanted to show us a video, so he showed us a video, kind of a waste of time, but God used it, and um, he said, you know, oh, I, I said wrongly, you know, but God had shown him the truth, but now he's trusting in the church that they have the truth, and he said, oh, yeah, it means faith and works, not faith is shown by works. And so, you know, it's it comes down to God is the one that teaches us so that even you know, his diligent study, he knew the Bible, but his study of the word, even though I guess Jesus did teach him as he read the word, because he could, he kept saying things the right way, and then he'd, and then he'd hear it from the church and say it backwards. <laughs> so, I mean, God does show us, but, you know, it's not us that, uh, you know, that can really learn it. It's, it's God that teaches us, even as we study the word. And I also wanted to say how, um, 
you know, God, he, he teaches us and he answers prayers. And like you say, you know, prayer is, you know, to God and it's, you know, from us not, not always, you know, waiting for God to speak to us. But when we do pray, we should expect an answer. I mean, he says, believe and don't doubt. And he, he may answer it, you know, it may be an answer of, you know, something that happens outside of the Bible. It may be, you know, he teaches us in some way, but, you know, we can compare it to the Bible and we should test the spirits to know well, that it is. No, I, I, well, the answer is not a revelation from God. Revelation. No, uh, so to speak. There are, we believe in sola scriptura. Only the Bible is God's word to us. So I can pray and think, oh, God told me this or God told me that. There's nothing binding about those thoughts. I don't know that's from God. Uh, I just, Luann and I had an email back and forth on Providence about how God uses it, but it's not binding revelation. Let's get back to the temple here. Gordon Fee says this, his concern is not with what affects, it does not affect the body per se, but with the special character of sexual immorality and how that sin is directed especially against the body is for the Lord. And so the Corinthians had a bad view. They thought they could do anything they wanted in the body. Paul rejects that. So the church is the temple. The body is a temple, the Holy Spirit. I'm just showing you what the Bible says. Let's go on here. Now, the temple of God. Two Corinthians. We're into the next Corinthian correspondence. Second Corinthians 6.16. Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Again, the temple, Naos, the inner sanctuary. And there are a bunch of antithetical contrasts in 2 Corinthians 14, 14 to 16. Let me just tell you what those contrasts are. Righteousness and wickedness. Light and darkness. Christ and Belial. The believer and an unbeliever, the temple of God, and idols. These are all antithetical contrasts. So the temple of God, the church, and idols are incompatible. They cannot be in agreement. In Acts, as we've seen, Acts 7.41, the idol is made with hands. Eric talked about this last week. God's temple is not made with hands. Why? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Can you have a building fundraiser for the temple of God? No. For the house of God? No. You're going to get a building. I'm not saying it's a sin to have a building. But the temple of God is the church corporately. And idols are still forbidden. So we have here the 
Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. Dr. Barnett says this. She says it was inconceivable that idols could be brought into the temple of Yahweh, the old one. So under the new dispensation, it is impossible for the temple of God, the members of the holy congregation of God, to go to or share in the cultic worship of idols in Gentile Corinth. Okay, you can't do it. Some of us, not me, but some of of you came out of Rome and you have cathedrals. Are there idols there? Are there? So is this saying it's a sin to make that your worship, to go where they worship idols? I don't think we can go back to Rome, can we? Mike. So, coincidentally, um, I'm supposed to be at a Catholic Mass at 9.30 for a baptism today. Well, that, I was invited, I should say. And I struggle with that all the time as far as trying to keep peace with the family and, and, uh, and standing and saying, no, I can't. It's an, it's an abomination what they're doing, you know, the Mass. Uh, the, the, they're re-sacrificing Christ. They got the doctrine of transubstantiation. You know, I, it's just, it is an abomination. And how do you tell your family, your loved ones, that what they're doing? It's just so difficult, you know. And uh, I was so glad it was uh, reaffirmation today for elders. They said, I, I can't be there. <laughs> Good for you. So well, it's a difficult thing, you know. I, see, I will admit. Well, if you want to keep family, what do you do with your family, your loved ones? You know, and once and they know how you stand. You've had this conversation before, and you want to have you know, Mike. Relations. What, if, what if you have a very close relative who dies and there's a funeral? You might have to go to it. I wouldn't go to that. But would you go to a funeral? I do go to a funeral. I just don't stand up, sit down, kneel. Don't go to the. I don't go to the uh, communion. I, uh, you know, and uh, I visibly don't participate. I don't say their prayers. I don't, you know. I, I will go yeah. out of honor to the person. Yeah, I think a funeral sometimes, if it's a close relative, you're just gonna have to go. I went one time. I sat way in the back. And when all this stuff happened, okay, but uh, that's a difficulty. But I'm thinking of people who say, I'm a born-again Christian. I just go to the Catholic Church. God himself said that his word's going to divide families, so we just see it playing out. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Galatians 1 10 for am i now seeking the favor of men or of god or am i striving to please men if i were still trying to please men i would not be a bond servant of christ okay we're not going to please man verse 17 eric do you have it open we will therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, 
and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. You may have to just say, I'm not going into the house of idols. The only time I went to a Catholic funeral was in a nursing home. Thankfully, they didn't have the idols there. And I don't even know if that was the right thing, but I did it. Uh, to respect somebody, but I would not participate in any way. Showed up, respect the family, I'm out of here. And it was a nursing home, not Catholic Cathedral, yes. Uh, So I was thinking at the the same time that we can't acknowledge an idol as from God, uh, God himself has provided opportunity for me to go in a mosque. I had to take off my shoes, but to share the gospel. And there was a gathering of young men in the back, and they they kept more kept coming, and so we we had an opportunity, and I told them about Jesus, who He is, how to get to heaven. Um, they had sincere questions. God used that in a you know pagan place of worship. Yet, okay, let's move on. Okay, <laughs> I appreciate the people. By the way, Eric. I was here Thursday night. I appreciate our people who are evangelizing Muslims. God bless you evangelists. Thank you for organizing it. The Lord is using you. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now there's a context to what he means by strangers and aliens. Eric, could you read Ephesians 2, 12 and 13? Yes. And feel free to comment. All right, Ephesians 2, 12. I'll just back up to verse 11. Uh, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Another reference to the hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Yeah, there's the one new man. Amen. You can do a little teaser for your sermon. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to be talking about that circumcision versus uncircumcision, and um, well, it's interesting too. In this passage, the the dividing wall was the balustrade, and what Paul is using is he's using an image from the temple itself, where the balustrade separated the Gentile from the Jew. And so, what God did is the balustrade ultimately was the law. The law separated the Jew and the Gentile. Well, God took that away. And so it's as if he took the balustrade right out of the temple and Jews and Gentiles can be together. So think about it this way. The way to apply this is when you and I come up with divisions that God has never given. For example, I won't fellowship with someone 
who uh, wants to fellowship on Wednesday, and I say, I have nothing to do with them. If I'm going to hold to a certain day and say it's binding, well, now I'm creating the balustrade again. Okay? So we can end up building the balustrade by our own regulations. What Bob is showing is God made the two into one, and he got rid of the law in order to do so, and now we're under the law of Christ. It's a beautiful thing. So Jew and Gentile fellowship together as one new man, and us Gentiles are no longer aliens and strangers. When we come to Christ, the wall's torn down. We're fellow citizens. We're part of God's household, another metaphor. We're built on this foundation. Jesus and the apostles are the foundation for the church built once for all. We did a conference in 2001 on the apostles and prophets movement. And we claimed, and Oral Steinkamp, my dear friend, was there, that there are no new apostles. The foundation is only built once. And as the church is built through redemption in the gospel, through the gospel, God is building on that foundation. So we have Christ and his apostles, Christ the cornerstone. The apostles' teaching is the teaching of Christ because he appointed them. And this is binding revelation for the church. And all of the redeemed are part of the household and supported by Christ and his apostles. And so that's what God's doing all over the world. Some people are in tough situations. I understand. I sent, I think, Mike, you got a copy, and Eric, I got a beautiful email from France about some people who love the Lord, and they were listening to CAC radio and heard us talk about sermons, and then started watching the Colossians sermons. And they said, we're believers here in France. There are only so many. There are very few. What do they say? Maybe a thousand <laughs> believers in the entire country of France. And they're nowhere around each other. And the only way they find fellowship is with us here. And I, my heart goes out to them. Wouldn't it be tough to be in a city and not a you don't know that there's another believer in the whole city. There might be, but they don't know. And I said, uh, dear saints, we love you. I, I promise you, when we get to heaven, we got to look each other up. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see those people. Hallelujah. Yeah. So we're, we're blessed to have people to gather together with. Special blessing. Church is a people, not a building. All of the redeemed are part of it. Let's go to verse, uh, slide six, Ephesians two, twenty-one and twenty-two. In whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together 
into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Wow, the church is holy. We are part of it. We are being built together. The church grows numerically and spiritually. Every time someone is born from above, God adds them to the church. As the word of God is taught with authority and purity, the saints of God are being fed and they grow. Feed my sheep. See, this has been just driven home to me so much. Really, especially since I've had this trouble with my voice. Because I so long to do that. To feed the Lord's dear flock. And I don't take it for granted, the ability to do it. And and so I spend my time studying. I've got so many sermons written. But listen, the Holy Spirit inspired the biblical authors to write the Word of God. The words that are in the Bible are spirit and truth. Luther was right biblically. The Holy Spirit comes to us through the Word. The ones who are a part of this holy temple are born of the Spirit. Every single saint throughout history and throughout geography has always been the same in this regard. That saint will grow when fed the pure word of God. I know that. Every elder needs to know that. Every preacher and teacher needs to know that. And when you hear what's true from God's word and have it apply, the Holy Spirit is working. Yes, he comes to you in power. He will sanctify you. The Spirit of God will. You will grow. When I get a chance, my next sermon is going to be on the love of God. The Holy Spirit causes the love of God to be shed abroad in our hearts, as the King James says. And when we love one another, that's a work of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit comes to us through the Word. And so I, and I know Eric did, uh, all of the teachers do this. We know we have to get it right. The Holy Spirit does not come to us through a Bible verse misinterpreted. That's not the Word. The Holy Spirit comes to us through the truth of the Word. And we need the Spirit of God. Now, some of my points, though, these are applications. Objects are not holy under the new covenant. People are. I don't care how much money you have, you cannot buy a holy object. 
I've seen them even on TV. Oh, this cross has embedded a tiny little speck that came from the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or something like that. Or maybe one of them was supposed to the birthplace of Jesus in Bethlehem. If you went to Israel, you probably saw that. Well, we got a tiny little piece of stone right from there, and it's embedded in this silver. And if you buy this, you can wear it. I need to keep going here so I get a few more slides. But you cannot buy holiness. You receive it as a gift. The dwelling place of God is in his people, not a structure made with hands. We are being built together by God's work of grace. Oh, yes. I love that. I tell you, I promise you, as the Holy Spirit comes to you and I through the word, we will love one another. Why? Because we're no different than Christians have always been. We're not unique. We're not better than anybody. We're Christians. And the Holy Spirit brings us into the place of loving God and loving one another. And that means caring for one another. That's what happens. That's what it looks like. John three nineteen and twelve forty six. Now let's look at the opposite side of this. So here's the holy temple in the Lord, the church, holy to God, being built up on the foundation of the apostles, with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. What's the rest of the world like? John three nineteen. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. This explains the relationship of the Christians as the temple of the Holy Spirit with the rest of the world. We love the light. Have you recently watched the news and see what the world calls good and evil? Have you noticed? And I I read the paper, what? What? They're all crazy. Good is evil and evil is good. Yeah, well, we're going to boycott some state because they say men's go to, men go to the men's room. Okay, what am I missing here? Oh, that's evil. Okay, so what we see, I think you know this. We need the church as those who love the light rather than the darkness. We don't have to impress people with any kind of love for darkness. We love everybody in regard to everyone that doesn't know Jesus is a lost soul. And we want to be loving people in the midst of a wicked 
world. But we can't agree. We can't let the world determine what's right and wrong. Here's what it says in John 12, 46. I have come as light into the world so that, purpose clause, everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. In the Bible, darkness is associated with Satan's domain. Ephesians 6, 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, world forces of what? This darkness. Spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Colossians 1.13. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. 1 Peter 2.9. We'll see that. I have a slide for it. Okay, when you come to Jesus Christ, who you believe in, your Lord and your Savior, he takes you out of darkness and into light. The light goes on. Is that true? Say amen to that. And even your thinking is different. Your behavior is different. Everything is new. Acts twenty six eighteen to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Eric, in that verse, who exactly is sanctified? Yeah, believers. All believers? Yes, amen. Not just higher order ones? All believers, yeah. <laughs> Not just That's special. what my article's about. Yeah. Pietism. Oh, you're not sanctified until you have a secondary experience. Right. Otherwise, you're just kind of a dumb seed. You don't get it. Right. Amen. See, Jesus doesn't say those who had a secondary experience. Sanctification was true of believers. Who was it who went from darkness to light? Believers. believers. Who is it that has forgiveness of sins? Believers, so you don't go to purgatory. No, <laughs> and uh, just to let you recover here, sanctified is hagiazo. That's where we get our term hagias for saints. <laughs> saints are those who are set apart, and so holiness. God is holy. He's different. He's set apart. He's different than the world that's corrupt. We are to be different. We're set apart for His purposes, and so the church is comprised only of those who are sanctified. It's not a mixed bag. It's not people who are somewhat set apart. It's those who are set apart. Right. One more. Let's go to Hebrews. I'm sorry, Bob, do you want me to read it for you? Oh, go ahead. Okay, sure. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and boast of our hope firm until the end. Moses' house and Christ's house. Christ is the greater Moses. He's the one Moses predicted in Deuteronomy 18, 15. Dr. Lane says, Moses 
fulfilled the office of a servant within the household of God. Jesus was the son appointed to preside over the household. The argument turns on the distinction between servant and son and the prepositions in and over. Jesus is greater. He's the son and he's over the household. So there's a contrast. We are the house of God. We have access to Christ who is priest over that house. Dear ones, we believe in the priesthood of every believer. One high priest, Jesus. Okay, Eric, I'm going to put you to work again. Hebrews 10, 21 through 23. Let me find her here. It says, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised it is faithful. Yes, let us draw near. How do you draw near to God? By having a prayer necklace, prayer beads. There's all kinds of objects that will make you draw near to God. Let us, let me talk about that terminology, let us. Brilliant Greek, the author of Hebrews uses let us as his plural imperative. He includes himself. There's no first person imperative in the Greek. It's like you're talking to yourself and say, do this. You know, because you're always telling somebody else, you ought to do this. So the author of Hebrews humbly always wants to include himself. So his oratory imperative in the whole book of Hebrews is let us. So when you see let us, take it as an imperative, a command from God. So let's look at that. Let us draw near. We're commanded to do that. Sincere heart, full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He's probably talking about baptism in water and the Holy Spirit through the redemption of the blood of Christ that cleanses our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We can draw near to God. Hallelujah. Let us hold fast our confession. Thank you, Lord. We've run our time. I'll close in prayer. Dear Lord, we love you. We thank you for these great and glorious promises. May we always be hungering for that pure milk of the word that we may grow thereby. May we treat one another with love and kindness. And may we remember that you've made us a temple of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your great gift in Jesus' name. 
Amen. God bless you. I made it. Thank you.